Welcome to Elevate, the podcast where we dissect exceptional achievers who are consistently raising the bar personally and professionally to produce extraordinary results in investment real estate and ultimately in their lives. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Austin Perlmutter. Austin, how are you? I'm doing so well. I'm thrilled to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here and really looking forward to diving into an illuminating conversation and enlightening conversation on so many different degrees. I know that that's going to be the case today. And I want to welcome Elevate Nation back because it's time to take it to another level. I'm very thankful to have you here. And it's really, you know, our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar. And we always talk about, you know, we talk about real estate a lot. We also talk about personal growth. We talk about investing in yourself whether that is through your health, whether that's through your mindfulness, whether that's through your brain clarity, whether that's through investing and building systems, you know, whether that's through real estate or other businesses to elevate to a life without limits. And you know, we also dive into mindset, habits, routines, tactics, systems, tools, and so much more because really, you know, it's not just a silver bullet which can create a great life. And that's what Elevate's all about. It's about elevating to a life without limits. We wanna help millions of people do that and we think that we can do that through this show. And, and we've been uh, sort of planning to bring on more and more experts outside of just real estate. And so I'm really excited about our conversation today with Austin. And uh, I want to remind you, this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. And if you appreciate what we're doing, we would certainly appreciate if you subscribe to the show, if you gave us a rating five-star rating. If you're so inclined, we would certainly be deeply appreciative of that. And a review, what exactly are you getting out of this show? Share that with others because we think we can help millions of people live a life of fulfillment rather than just tolerating, you know, a life that they just plug in. And with that said, I want to go ahead and introduce you to Austin Perlmutter, uh, MD, who is a board certified internal medicine physician and New York Times bestselling author. He received his medical degree from the University of Miami and completed his internal medicine residency at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. His focus is in helping others to improve decision-making and quality of life. He is also interested in methods of understanding and reducing burnout in the medical field. He is the author, the co-author of Brainwash. He writes for Psychology Today on his blog, The Modern Brain. And, and Austin, with that said, I'm really excited about our discussion today. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about Austin as a man behind the bio. Sure. Well, let me give a little bit of background into how I wound up here on your show today. And certainly my background is not in real estate. I want to make that clear. Sure. But I think that for anybody listening and watching, there are going to be a lot of, of takeaways that are going to improve your life in several ways. Um, and those are going to translate into making better decisions as they relate to whatever job you have. So I was initially planning to be an author. That was actually my goal. I went to college, started my English major, and then had a series of conversations with different professors and realized that if I wanted to be able to reach people, help people, and integrate my life into a platform that would enable me to do those things consistently, that writing at that stage wasn't the way to do that. So at that point, I made a decision that I was going to do uh, the pre-med track in addition to the, the English major. And, you know, medicine has always been something in my family that's been 
I guess, well thought of. My dad's a doctor, his dad's a doctor, but I didn't necessarily see right off the bat how that would fit in my life. It turns out though that I care about science. I care about having intelligent conversations, about asking questions, about helping other people, and about being in an environment with other curious people. And so medicine was the perfect fit for those desires. And I decided to go first of all to med school and then to an internal medicine residency, which is, is kind of general medicine. The reason is I saw that there was this gulf between what we were doing when it relates to our chronic diseases, things like high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, and what we could be doing. So it turns out that 60% of Americans have a chronic disease, and actually 40% of Americans have two or more of these chronic diseases. And these are, as I mentioned again, things like high blood pressure, but also things like heart disease and cancer. Um, and the thing about these chronic diseases, which you know, chances are you or somebody you care about has one of these, a lot of the time they are preventable. And so internal medicine gave me the tools to understand what is going wrong in these diseases. But something that I realized along the way is as much as I had the medications and the spiels prepared to tell patients why they need to exercise and eat healthier, it just wasn't working that well. You know, we give patients this information, we think they take that information home and they apply it, but they just don't. They don't follow through on what we recommend. And so then it brought up the question of how do we get people to engage in behavioral change? How do we get ourselves to do the stuff that we know we want to do? And I, I want to make sure everyone understands this is a far bigger question than just what's going on in medicine. You know, you probably have things that you want to do differently, whether that's waking up early to exercise, spending more time with your kids, eating healthier food, watching less TV. We all have these ideas of ourselves that we want to be a little bit closer to the ideal version and a little bit less like the real life version. But as I said, there's this gap. There's this gap between knowing and acting. And this was really the area that we, we started working on, my father and myself with our book Brainwash, which is what are the things in the modern world that compromise our ability to make good choices, whether those are financial decisions, relationship decisions, or health-related decisions. And then what are the things that are science-backed that we can start doing to improve the quality of our decisions? So that is, in essence, the framework that we presented for this book. And, and really, since this book, since I started working on this book, and in the, I guess it's been, you know, several months now since the book has been out, I've just continued to look at what are the tools that we can be using to optimize for better decisions? Because if we want to reach those outcomes that we care about, whether that's making a certain amount of money, whether that's having a stronger relationship, whether that's losing a few pounds, our decisions, those are, they're key, right? They're vital to enabling us to reach those outcomes. And all of this comes down to this, this concept, which is if we want to improve our outcomes, we have to improve our decisions. And if we want to improve our decisions, we've got to change the way that we make decisions. How do we do that? We have to change our brains. So that's kind of where I'm at right now is I believe that there is this major miss that we've had as it relates to getting to the things we care about. And that is, we actually blame ourselves when we make poor decisions. We, we say we either didn't have the information or we didn't have the willpower, but there's this other kind of elephant in the room, which is if your brain isn't on your team, isn't helping you to make good choices, you're really never going to get to the outcomes you care about. 
It's so interesting because I totally am in agreement with you in terms of decisions. You know, it's like what Tony Robbins says, you know, decisions shape your destiny. You know, in the moments of decision is when your future is decided. And I know that to be true, whether it's for your own health, whether it's for your own business, you know, if we, you, you decide whether or not to make that extra call or to make that call perhaps to someone who maybe it's going to make you feel uncomfortable in that moment, you know, how do you make effective decisions that maybe are uncomfortable, you know, to get to that outcome. And I, I find it to be so fascinating that, you know, really you, what you study in your work is really science-based and how do we sort of position ourselves and perhaps hack ourselves to make more appropriate decisions that are going to serve us in the long term. And I do find it to be very interesting that 60% of Americans have chronic diseases and then perhaps even 40% maybe have two or more chronic diseases. And so uh, the thought process that, you know, I feel like many in our generation and perhaps around our generation are, are, are open to thoughts of how can we prevent this rather than how can we just repair this after the fact. And I do find it to be interesting, even with those astounding stats, that you still say, well, many, many see the gap there, but they're not willing to act on that. So could you talk a little bit more about sure. that, if you don't mind? Well, um, having read some of Tony Robbins' work, I think you know, he talks about this decision-making, I believe it's an Awaken the Giant Within, and he talks about these, these fundamental moments, these decision points that determine so much in our lives. And while I think that's an important framework for looking at the outcome of our choices, what I think we miss is that at the time you're making the decision, it's almost been made for you. And let me break that down. We like to believe that when we get to the moment of choice, all it requires is for us to care enough about making the right choice or to have that willpower to push ourselves to doing the right thing. It's the idea that when that alarm clock goes off at 6 a.m., you have a choice. Are you going to lace up your shoes and go for the run or are you going to press snooze? And it's that decision that's so vital. And if we could just figure out a way to, when you get to that point, go down the right path, then everything would be better. But what I would argue is, by the time you get to the moment of decision, most of the choice has been made for you. So what that means is, if you want to make better choices, you need to be focused weeks, months, years ahead of time. And that's the time that you can design and rewire your brain such that when you get to that moment of choice, you're more likely to make the good choice. Because in truth, even though we think of choices as binary, they're a probability function. You know, so let's say, again, you woke up in the morning and you had to decide, are you going to put on your shoes or are you going to stay in bed? There's this idea that we have complete autonomy over our choices. And the only thing that determines whether you put on the shoes or not is your willpower. But if you, for example, didn't get enough sleep that night, you're not going to be as motivated to get up and put on those shoes. And why didn't you get enough sleep that night? Well, maybe it's because you stayed up late to watch a TV show. And why did you stay up late to watch a TV show? Well, maybe it's because you were stressed at work and you needed something to help you decompress. And why were you stressed at work? Maybe it's because you didn't have the resilience mechanisms from doing meditation or mindfulness or exercising otherwise that enabled you to handle what is really a subjective thing, which is stress. So what I'm saying is, when you wake up in the morning and you want to be the person who puts on the shoes and goes running, you need to be working on the person a day ahead of time, a week ahead of time, a month, a year ahead of time. That's where we're going to get the most bang for our buck. It's not necessarily the most exciting way of framing it because everyone wants to sell you this concept, which is you learn this one simple trick and you're going to start making good choices. But the truth is our decisions are really complicated. 
they're a reflection of the way that our brains are wired. And as I said, it's kind of a probability function with regard to all the different things that go in there, add a little bit of randomness, and then you make that choice, right? So in order to capitalize on that information and the neuroscience of decision-making, what we need to be doing is everything we can to wire our brains for good decisions. We can get into the specifics of how you do that, but it turns out not to be that complicated. We can talk a little bit about the research, but for example, one night of sleep deficit, meaning volunteers that were kept up for an entire night are tested the next day by being shown emotionally kind of um, negative pictures, like looking down the barrel of a gun. You see that people who were sleep deprived have significantly higher activation in their emotional hub of their brain, meaning they have this more negative reaction in their brain to these stimuli in these photos. So what does that mean? Well, if you are walking down the street and something happens, you might perceive that as something negative and react in a negative way if you didn't get enough sleep. It kind of explains why if you skip a night of sleep, you might be not as good of a driver, one, because your attention's gonna be off, but also if somebody cuts you off, you're gonna be more emotionally reactive, more likely to chase after them, pull them over, and then, good. I mean, depending on how far you wanna go with that, knocking on their door and telling them that they really messed up. So it's the little decisions that we make that have really big long-term consequences as far as how we act. I find it to be so interesting because it is all about thinking ahead. It's how can you, how can you rewire your brain to really have a baseline of good decision-making? And obviously, you know, I, I read a book recently, actually, Why We Sleep. I was actually looking at it here on my bookshelf, Michael Walker. Uh, who, who wrote about that. And you're really speaking my language there because I understand so much more about how important sleep is. And I know many of the listeners understand that, you know, to be an entrepreneur or they feel like to be an entrepreneur, a, su a successful entre entrepreneur or investor, you know, you've got to be putting in hundred hour weeks and all these different things, which, you know, obviously, you know, perhaps at some point there's a law of diminishing returns, you know, sure. when you're not as effective. And, um, you know, if you can sleep more effectively, you can think more clearly and you can make better decisions, more empowering decisions. So I guess if you were to say, all right, well, let's let's start from the baseline. If we want to plant, you know, if we want to lay the soil to say, hey, how can we rewire our brain to make more empowering and appropriate decisions that can really make things so much easier for us? I'd be curious to know where would you start? Sure. Well, let me just for a moment speak to the point you made about these entrepreneurs or other people who feel like you have to work, burn the candle at both ends in order to be most successful. I think that, you know, when you become somewhat expert in whatever your subject is, you realize that it's not the people who get lucky that you want to emulate. That luck too is a, you know, something that can help you if you already have the system in place that will enable you to act on it. So everyone wants to pick the winning stock, right? You see those ads on the internet, which says, um, I mean, there's one that keeps coming up for me, which is some guy who picked, I guess, Netflix, Apple, whatever, when it was really low, is now giving us this advice. And all we have to do is click this bait, and we're going to have, you know, millions of dollars in our account overnight. But the people who are successful are people who have systems. And those systems are a result of a lot of time going in to understand this type of thing. And so I think if we look at, you know, our brains and our decisions the same way we should be looking at stocks, which is you want to have compounding interest, you want to make a good plan and stick to that plan over time so that in the long run, those, those positive things that you did in your portfolio or in your brain 
are going to bring you the biggest possible reward. That's the way of looking at this. It's not about the quick fix and making that quick change to your brain or making a whole bunch of day trading. Some day traders work, but we know the statistics. Most of the time when you are actively managing your portfolio, you're doing worse than the market average. So again, for your brain, it's about making some simple changes and doing those over time that are going to enable you to reap that compounding interest with good decisions. So what are the things that we need to be doing in order to make that happen? Well, there are two big branches or two big components of this. The first component is to understand that the modern world wires our brains for poor decisions. The default option is bad. If you are an average American, you are overweight or obese. That means that you are perhaps not eating the foods that are best for you. And I don't want to, you know, castigate people for that. I don't think it's their fault. I think it's just that the default option now is eating this terrible food. 68% of foods in one study of 1.2 million foods contained added sugar. There is no physiological need for that added sugar. It is there to make us continue to consume these unhealthy products. And oh, by the way, that sugar is associated with worse decision making. So the default state in America is that you are going to be unhealthy, unhappy, and have compromised decision-making by the effects of the modern world on your brain. So you have to understand that this is the setup and you have to have tools in place to, to know when you are being manipulated to make poor decisions. So that's, again, kind of the first step. One of the big aspects of that is understanding how digital media is intentionally manipulating your time, your attention, and your financial contributions to these products that you probably don't need. And so, we developed this acronym for the book called the test of time, which is an easy tool that people can apply when they're engaging with digital media. It is T for time restricted, meaning set yourself a window of time that you're comfortable spending on the computer, the cell phone. Uh, and then I is for intentional, meaning have a plan. Don't just go on Facebook and wander around for three hours. If you want to go check on your cousin who had a new baby, see those pictures, comment. Great. That's a plan. M is for mindful, meaning when you are engaging with these digital platforms, are you experiencing uh, negativity, stress, anxiety? If so, be aware of that. And maybe that's then the time to pull away. I think perhaps the best example of this right now is as it relates to news. In general, news is sensationalized. I don't think there's anyone out there debating otherwise. I mean, individual stations say that they're all fact-based, but they get to choose which facts they want to put out, even if they are truthful. And their goal is to keep your eyeballs on the station. So what we're talking about here is that news in general tends to take things and blow them a little bit out of proportion. Why do they do that? Because they know that that induces anxiety and stress in the human's body, makes them more likely to continue to pay attention to it. We have something called a negativity bias, which means we're more likely to pay attention to things that are negative in character. So being mindful of how you're consuming technology means that if you're watching the news and all of a sudden you're saying, I'm feeling really stressed, I'm feeling really anxious, you know, I'm all for being informed, but maybe that's the time to turn it off. And then E, which is the last part of T-I-M-E, is for enriching. And this one's pretty straightforward. It means you want to get a net benefit out of your technology exposure. So if you finish watching TV, surfing the web, playing on your phone, and you say, wow, that was a waste of my time, or I feel kind of crummy after doing that, or I really wish I would have instead gone exercising, then it's a time to reset and say, next time that I participate with digital media, I want to make sure I have my TIM of the time a little bit more 
button down so that I am actually benefiting from it. So again, this is the first part of your question, which we're deep in the woods now, but the point is you need to understand how the modern world is manipulating your brain for poor decisions and have some, some ways of mediating that effect. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself um, unhappy, unhealthy, and making poor choices. The other piece of that, I should have said mitigating, not mediating, but okay. So the other big part of that is you want to have strategies in place that are going to enable you to wire your brain for better decisions. And we can get into any of these or none of these as far as your level of interest. But what we found for the book is that getting sleep, yes, and Matthew Walker's book is a great way of learning about the importance of sleep, but also nature exposure also mindfulness and meditative practices, also connecting with other people, also exercising. So these are things in addition to eating a healthier diet um, and specifically a diet that lowers inflammation that we believe are tools to enable you to, through neuroplasticity, which is the ability to change the wiring of your neurons, to literally rewire your brain for better choices. And when you do that, you are more likely to get the stuff that, you know, Arguably, we all care about in the first place, which is to be happy, healthy, and, and wise. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year? Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be and really you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the concept of building systems around all of these different pillars, so to speak. And I'd love to go a little bit deeper on food, if you don't mind, just sure. because, you know, it is really astounding to know that 68% of food you know, in America it contains added sugar. And I don't think a lot of people really understand, you know, the, the depth of the problem there. Sure. And, you know, there's really so many other concepts that are, I think are so important that, you know, when you go into the grocery store, half the time, you don't really understand, you know, the, the harmful chemicals or ingredients that may be included there. So I'd love to know some systems uh, that everyone could implement immediately around food and, you know, in nourishing their bodies. Well, let's start with the bigger picture, and that is that most, quote, foods and drinks are bad for you. That's, it's a sad statistic, but it's true, is that when you go to the grocery store and you walk around, specifically if you go through the aisles, the outside tends to be a little bit better, and you look at the back of these packages, you're going to read these ingredients you've never heard of. Look, I get it. Sometimes you need some preservatives so that those foods stay a little bit longer, but let's say you walk down the cereal aisle. What is this really? It has some, quote, cereal, right, which is a plant-based or a plant-derived product in it. Maybe, right? Sometimes you can even identify it. You can see oats. Oh, I know what an oat is. That's something that grows on a plant. But most of the time, this stuff is stripped of all of the fiber, all of the nutrients, and then they add in some vitamins, they throw in a ton of sugar, and they call it a part of a healthy breakfast. 
It's not. It's not good for anyone, right? And yet, this is just kind of the way that it's been set up is you have to have your cereal, you have to have your breakfast cereal. It's part of your, your day. Um, so again, understanding that most food is bad for you. The other thing that I would say, if you're listening and watching, you've probably heard of a bunch of these different diets, keto, paleo, vegan, um, Atkins, South Beach. Now, I am in favor of customizing dietary recommendations for the person. Depending on how your metabolism is set up, you may handle carbohydrates better than another person. You may, be do, you may actually need more fat than somebody else. That's fine. But what concerns me is that when everyone gets in these debates as to whether you should be a carnivore or a vegan or a paleo or a keto person, we're missing the bigger picture. Bigger picture is just as I said before, most food is bad for us and most people are eating this bad food. So I think that in the absence of a consensus from the so-called experts, it's really hard for the average person to know what they should or should not eat. So as it relates to that point in brainwash, we tried to be very straightforward about the recommendations we make for food so that people would be able to abide by them, but also because we looked at one specific aspect of what comes from eating unhealthy food, and that is inflammation. So inflammation, something you're probably familiar with, we would say that in general, chronic inflammation, which is different from when you stub your toe or something, that's the inflammation low level that goes on in your bloodstream for years and years, is, is really bad for you. It's been linked to heart disease. It's been linked to dementia. And what we talk about in the book is that inflammation too is linked to making poor decisions. So our goal here is to advocate for a diet that lowers inflammation. It's very straightforward. And the way you do that is by eating foods that people have messed with the least. So as it relates to carbohydrates, if people have stripped away all the fiber and, you know, instead of that being some sort of a fiber-rich meal, it's now angel hair white pasta, that has been something that people have messed with. You're not going to find angel hair growing out there in the field, right? As delicious as it is. Um, so refined carbohydrates being what you want to avoid for carbs. And then as it relates to fats, well, again, try to eat the fats that people have messed with the least. The fats that people have messed with the most are things like trans fats, right? So those are things where they've added hydrogens in order to make them um, more stable. But over time, it turns out that those are actually quite toxic to the body. The other thing is these, these fats like vegetable fats, which you'll see as canola oil um, and soybean oil, vegetable oil. These are things that have been highly processed in order to make them functional for people to consume. But it tends to be that those contain high levels of omega-6 fats uh, or polyunsaturated fats as well as a bunch of other additives, which we would think causes inflammation. On the other hand, if you're consuming more omega-3 fats, these are the traditional fish oils, those have been associated with lower levels of inflammation. And then finally for protein, um, you know, there's actually a lot of debate right now as to how protein affects the body. We thought for a while you should be eating protein because you don't wanna be eating fat and also carbs aren't so good for you, but it turns out that protein specifically certain types of protein, branched chain amino acids and others, um, can actually lead to, in the long run, inflammation as well. So to that end, we want to avoid eating too much protein, especially from animal-based sources. And in general, we want to avoid eating protein that people have messed with a lot. So that would be animals that are eating a crappy diet, right? That have been fed things that they really shouldn't be eating, that have been given antibiotics, that have been given hormones, because 
Those again translate into more inflammation in the body, worse thinking, higher rates of dementia, heart disease, and the like. Yeah, this is great. And I would highly recommend that Elevate Nation, you know, replays a lot of this because there's a lot of a lot of detail here that you're going to want to go ahead and implement into your life. And I think the main concept is you want to avoid inflammation as much as possible and develop your strategies around that. And I'm obviously very appreciative of, of Austin digging into that. One thing I found to be so fascinating as I learned more about, you know, optimizing my own health, because I want to become the best version of myself. And I think really, that's what everyone uh, listening is really interested in themselves. One thing I found to be so interesting is that in particular, like vegetable oil is one of the biggest problems in, you know, the modern sort of uh, society in terms of uh, food production that's out there. And, and from what I understand, it's one of those, you know, toxic chemicals that can create such inflammation uh, within your body due to the the temperature at which it, it boiled or something along those lines. Am I, am I, am I totally uh, stepping into the deep waters here, Austin? <laughs> you might be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quiz in a little bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. There are, there are always these health people who are going to latch on to a specific thing as the biggest thing or the worst thing. And the vegetable oils, as I mentioned, are something that we should be trying to avoid. But when it comes to the amount of research that actually connects these refined vegetable oils with negative health outcomes, I think it's, it's much less than the research around things like added sugar, mm -hmm. right? And so I certainly recommend people choose something like olive oil or coconut oil or the fat that comes in a nut or an avocado over these processed vegetable oils. But it's, it's a little bit more with those kind of like the, the theory and the chemistry that should make them unhealthy for the body. The idea being, um, you know, that these oils are ultra processed. And so they have additives or pieces to them that make them unnatural and make them poorly uh, handled by the body. But when you're talking about to uh, the smoke point or what happens to chemicals or oils, fat specifically, when they're cooked at high temperatures, it's that they, they no longer become anti-inflammatory and then actually in fact can become inflammatory because they undergo oxidation. And oxidation can lead to a process in our bodies that damages proteins, fats, and DNA. So um, I think, you know, at, at a technical level there, yeah, like that is definitely something that is going on. But for listeners, I would say, again, my biased opinion, and I am not somebody who would consider himself some sort of nutrition expert. I'm just a general medicine person. But if you want to make the, the biggest change to your diet, it is in avoiding the refined carbohydrates and the added sugars, because those are things that lead to inflammation and they appear to also increase your risk of developing things like heart disease, diabetes, and potentially even things like dementia. So those are gonna be, I believe, the most bang for your buck. And in some ways they're gonna be easier to pick out because refined carbohydrates, you can find lists of these online, but you kind of know them when you see them. Unless you can identify the whole plant, it's probably a refined carbohydrate. So you buy bread, that's a refined carbohydrate. If you buy pasta, refined carbohydrate, muffins, bagels, cookies, all of these things are, they're just not good for you. They're added calories that aren't doing you any service, but they also actually through the process of adding those sugars to proteins, create inflammation in the body. Yeah, no, this is so, so interesting. And, you know, one thing I'd love to, to dive in a little bit deeper as well is just the concept of neuroplasticity. 
Um, And, you know, I think previously in previous generations, perhaps there was an understanding that maybe there was a, you know, at at a certain point in your life, you know, you're going to have diminishing sort of cognitive capacity. Um, But it seems that you can continue to grow your own neuro capabilities as you continue to age, perhaps as you grow older. And, And maybe I even read that back in the day, they said, you know, when you turn 30 years old, you can just go ahead and just write it off. You're just going to be yeah. less and less capable each and every year. So I'd love to know, you know, if we could dive into just optimizing just your neural capabilities. I know that sure. one thing that you have studied at, you know, at some length is the the health of your gut or your microbiome. And I don't, I'd love to see if there's any connection there that we could draw. Um, or perhaps if that's a, a bad question itself, let's just dive in there. <laughs> yeah, bad question. Next one. No, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> A lot of interesting things to talk about with regard to that. So let's start with what is neuroplasticity. Um, in essence, it's just the idea that your neurons are consistently adapting to your environment. And if you want an example of this, think about this one. If you're watching this conversation an hour from now, if I asked you about the conversation, you'll be able to remember something about it, right? But before the conversation, you didn't know anything about what we were talking about, perhaps. So something has changed in your brain, that memory is stored, your neurons are going to be a little bit different because of that. And if you continue to think through what's going on, you realize that your neurons are always responding to what you're doing in the day to day. If you were to start playing the piano and continue to practice playing the piano, you'll get better at it. And part of the reason for that is actually this neuroplasticity. Your neurons in your brain adapt to what you're doing in your environment such that you become better at what you're doing. Where I caution people is neuroplasticity is not a universally good thing. So if you are exposing yourself to chronic stress day in and day out, if you're not getting enough sleep, those are going to change the neurons in your brain just as much as the good things would. So you're now wiring your brain for poor health, right? So let's say it's stress. You're now wiring your brain for poor choices, for stress-related choices. So neuroplasticity is this thing that kind of cuts both ways. Now, as it relates to what we can do to modify the actual process of neuroplasticity, there are a couple of of interesting points. Um, First is we can increase something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's called BDNF. And one of the more powerful ways that we can do that is through exercising. I've actually done studies. They have done studies in humans where they measure levels of this BDNF coming out of the brain by looking at some of the veins coming out of the brain and show that those go up dramatically after exercise. So why is that important? It's because BDNF promotes neuroplasticity. So if you are somebody who is doing your best to lay down some new neural pathways, you want to throw that miracle grow BDNF on there so that it makes those strong, so that they take root. So something like exercise is a wonderful way to cement those new pathways in place. Okay, so how does this then all relate to the gut? Um, There is a a strong temptation to get a little bit technical here. So please feel free to pull me out if we go too deep. Sounds good. If you consider what we do on a daily basis to get information about the world, you've got your traditional senses, right? So you smell stuff, you taste stuff, you see stuff, you hear stuff. But in addition to those general senses, you think what is the interface between the environment and us? The eyes are relatively small. The ears are relatively small. The nose is relatively small. And sure, you touch with your skin, um, taste with your mouth, but there is this massive amount of cellular interface in your gut, right? I mean, you've heard the estimates. It's huge. And why that's so important is 
your gut is the principal way, as far as data goes, of you getting information from the outside world and then converting that into changes in your body. So the food that you eat, for example, goes down, is broken down into its constituent macronutrients. These are the fats and the proteins um, and the carbohydrates, but also all the other micronutrients and things are going to go in there and they're going to be, number one, um, changing the way that your, your gut cells function, but also changing the way that your microbiome functions, which is the uh, bacteria that live in your gut. So those are going to send signals both to the cells next to you, next to them, and also to nerves that are connected down there. The vagus nerve goes all the way from the brain down to the gut. And so those signals go into your bloodstream, they go through the nerves, and then they reach your brain. And when they reach your brain, they change the way that your brain works. So based on the information you get from your gut, your brain is going to then adapt and it's going to be uh, see the world differently. This is why you know, in some studies, specifically in animals at this stage, you can see changes in mood with transplant of microbiome. But it all kind of makes sense. And the reason for it, let's, let's stick with the mood here for an example, is that we're now learning that depression is an inflammatory disorder, that in many of the cases of depression, it might be driven by inflammation. So where does that inflammation come into the body? Well, it can come in a couple of ways, but one of the biggest ways it can come into the body is through the gut. So when our microbiome isn't healthy, when our gut is leaky, the pieces of food, the other inflammatory substances in our gut can penetrate through and they can get into our bloodstream. And so when that gets into our bloodstream, when that touches that vagus nerve, those little nerve terminals at the end, it goes up into the brain. And when inflammation reaches the brain, that's when we think we experience what we call depression. So all of this stuff is interconnected and it really gives a lot, it gives me pause when I think about um, the foods that I'm eating that are either supporting the microbiome like fiber or potentially damaging the microbiome like certain types of fats and perhaps certain types of carbohydrates, um, that these are then sending signals that will, through the gut microbiome, reach my brain and then change the way that I experience my day-to-day, -day, meaning how I make decisions, how I feel, whether I feel compassionate towards somebody else or feel a little bit selfish about something I do. So it's all an interconnected web because obviously then the decisions you make, which will be a function of your mood and the way you're thinking, are going to determine how you then feed your microbiome. So you, you kind of get stuck in one of two circuits. One is the bad circuit where you eat crummy foods, that those damage then the microbiome. You have inflammation come into the body and then into the brain. Your brain says, I have inflammation, so I'm going to make crummy decisions. And then you get stuck there. Or you say, I want to break out of that by doing something that is going to start making better decisions like eating healthy food, which is going to uh, support my microbiome, which is going to then block inflammation so that I keep making good decisions. Are there any supplements that you'd recommend? And, and, and I want to ask you specifically around you know, probiotics, prebiotics. I'd love to know, would you recommend the use of additional probiotics and prebiotics beyond sort of in your diet? Or what would you say there? Yeah, I think that the research in probiotics is obviously expanding dramatically. And there's some, some interesting stuff that has come out with regard to um, probiotics and mood, probiotics and cognitive function, um, probiotics and everything from gut health to heart health. But as it stands right now, I'm, I guess I'm not convinced that there are, there's enough data to support specific strains of probiotics. Um, I know that 
people, for example, my dad would probably disagree and he has a whole lot more expertise in this field than I do. But at the moment, I don't consistently take a probiotic. I do what I can to introduce pre and probiotic rich foods into my diet. So that means fermented foods as well as um, fibrous foods that are going to be the fiber actually works as the food for the probiotics in your gut or the microbiome. Um, but I imagine that in the years to come, we're going to have a lot more data as to what specific strains of bacteria do in the, in the gut. Right now, it just seems like, I don't know, picking a couple out and hoping for the best is, um, it's probably helpful um, for some people, especially if you've depleted your gut microbiome for one reason or another. But I think if you're eating healthy food, doing what you can to support with fermented foods, um, I don't see a strong need to, to take a, a daily probiotic at this point. That uh, makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. Um, you know, one of the things that I find so fascinating as we were talking about neuroplasticity is just the development of neuropathways as well. And, and one of the things that we're so passionate about on this show is consciously creating your habits and consciously being aware of perhaps your bad habits. And, it, you know, along the lines of our discussion today, it's, you know, it's not about, hey, you know what, I just made this great willpower decision, but I was conscious of what I wanted to create hmm. from a long term perspective in terms of implementing my own healthy sort of behaviors, which then can create habits. I'd love to know, you know, just kind of switching gears just a little bit in terms of yourself. I'd love to know are there any conscious habits that you've been able to develop over the years that you think have really served you, uh, you know, better than, than otherwise, than you could have otherwise with just using your own willpower? Yeah. And to that point, you don't want to rely on your willpower. It's not a good plan because your willpower changes. We all know this. It changes depending on the time of day, depending on how everything else is going. And so it's a finite resource that you, you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket. Um, the things that I have found most helpful as far as kind of like stage one investments before you're getting to all of these customized protocols for improving decision making are, are really awareness and kind of going with that mindfulness and to understand how at every given moment we can be aware of how we're experiencing the world and that we don't have to be tethered to our emotions, right? We don't have to become anger. We don't have to become uh, jealousy or sadness and that we can have a little bit of space between those things and who we are, right? Um, but even if you're not at that stage yet, just to be a little bit aware of how you function in the world. Because I think you, you, you know, in order to learn, and we all do this subconsciously, you want to every day um, update your priors, right? So you, you come into the day, you have your set of ideas as to how things work in the world. And then based on your interactions with other people, the books you read, uh, TV you watch, or the, the walk you take down the street, you want to be able to uh, update your program for each of those different things such that it better represents reality for you. You know, and so again, coming back to something more generic, if you are uh, watching the stock market and you're seeing something change, like you need to incorporate that then into your decisions. But you know, on the even more meta, now, meta level of that, maybe it isn't so important to watch the day-to-day -day transitions in the stock market. And instead you wanna say, how am I aware of the way that I experience those up and down transitions? 
right? Or how, how am I aware of the way that my decisions are changed based on those up and down fluctuations in the stock market? And so you can really kind of draw this out to as many stages as you want to. But that awareness that things actually do change in your body when you don't get enough sleep and, oh my goodness, I am a little bit more upset right now. I wonder if maybe that's because I went to sleep late last night or um, I'm feeling a little better right now. I wonder if I can tether this to the fact that I've been exercising a little bit more. I think that is, is so key because now you're actually improving your day-to-day -day function based on real data as opposed to, I think, what most people do, which is kind of just say, I'm going to experience things as they come. And hopefully over enough time, my subconscious or whatever will get the gist of it and I'll be better at doing what I'm doing. But we have the opportunity to, to actually improve the system consciously in addition to that unconscious piece. And again, that starts with awareness, with a little bit more mindfulness, being aware of how we experience the day-to-day -day and how we can learn from and benefit from that as opposed to just allowing it to happen to us. Yeah, I think one of the most valuable things that I've learned over the past few years is, is just awareness of emotions and not having to identify specifically with one emotion that I'm experiencing at one point in time. You know, if I'm feeling anxious by the state of the market, or if I'm feeling anxious based on a negotiation that I'm in, or whatever it may be, it may not actually be that experience. It may actually be the fact that I didn't get enough sleep last night, or you know what, I made some bad decisions with my nutrition or you know what I've sure. been nearly as active as as I should be recently and I, and I find it to be so enthralling and exciting to realize that hey you know what I can actually just step back from this and have some awareness and say wow I don't have to believe this I don't have to be this and now I can right. act in a different way and I can actually plan for you know better emotions in the future so I love that and the, another thing that you said that I thought was so awesome was, you know, as, a, as an individual like yourself, who's, you know, constantly reading and learning and growing and accepting and considering new information, I would imagine that you're probably like me in many ways where you say, you know what, I'm updating my own information. So perhaps a previously held belief, now I can maybe replace with a new belief or a new system of understanding. So with that said, I'd be curious to know, has there been anything that you've learned recently that you've said, you know what, I'm, I've changed my mind on this thought process, or I don't know, is there anything there? Right. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to believe that I've de-identified with specific uh, knowledge as as key to my persona, and therefore every day I can just update the systems. But that's, that's obviously not the case. So, what have I learned recently that I've been wrong about? Um, well, a very basic thing, um, and this has to do more with just kind of the day-to-day -day stuff. Given what's going on right now with coronavirus and my personality type, I tend to want to continue to um, become informed as to what's going on medically with the assumption that that will then translate into benefits for me because I'll know something and also to other people because I've been putting out some videos and some content to help people understand what's going on. Um, but something I was wrong about is that it's actually good to stay that informed as it relates to coronavirus, that my brain was convincing me that I needed to constantly be on top of this with the Twitter feed or the websites or whatever else. And um, that it was actually compromising my mental health because um, it's just, you know, so objectively uh, negative what's going on in the world for the most part. Um, and I think one of the, the best places that I was wrong was in thinking that it was reasonable to have conversations with my girlfriend about these things going on in the world each night before bed. And, uh, 
she called me out on it. She said, you know, this isn't good right before we go to sleep. This isn't going to help me sleep. And I, I was resistant. No, this is interesting stuff. But um, I thought it through. And after a couple of days of pulling back from having these deep discussions as to mortality rates and such, uh, I realized she was right. And so I think, you know, kind of to make that a more generalizable point, um, having people in your life who you're willing to listen to, who are not doing things because they are so desirous of being right, but because they're just trying to help and be on the journey as well, is so important in, in fostering growth. Um, on the other hand, having people around you that are unwilling to allow you to, to grow um, can be one of the most damaging parts of that. That's why I really love the, the statement people make, oh, you know, you've really changed. And that's, that's what you want people to say, right? You want to change. They, you want them to be excited about that because if you're not changing, you're not growing. And then really, what's the point? Yeah, I could not agree more. And I found myself to be in a very similar position, especially during the coronavirus outbreak, you know, constantly updating my knowledge on what's going on in the state of the economy and what, you know, what sort of decisions do we need to make? So perhaps on the other side of the fence here, but I've noticed myself as well. It's like, well, you know, I'm kind of pulling myself into a negative thought process and it's not really healthy for my mental state of being. And so understanding and taking that awareness again has been super valuable for me. And obviously it's a course correction to me. It's always, all right, you know what we need to, we need to have some awareness here and step back and make a different decision in this moment. And it's, and it's not about what we made a mistake on yesterday or in the previous moment, but it's how we're acting now. And I find that to be so fascinating, but I also love the fact of allowing others to influence you or other information to influence you, you know, positively and being conscious of who you're surrounding yourself with so that they can help you update your own information and make better decisions uh, yourself. But I love the concept that you just mentioned of, hey, you know what, if someone sees you, you know, in, in three months, six months, a year, whatever it may be, and they say, hey, you've changed, take that as a huge compliment, because every single day, you should be striving to get 1% better. Would you say, Austin? I think so. I think 1% is even generous, just a little bit better, uh, and whatever that might be. And um, I know for me, I definitely at the end of the day, sometimes think I did not hit my metric. I spun my wheels, whatever. And one of the, my main jobs right now is just writing. And sometimes I'll write a whole bunch and I'll think this is terrible. I'm not going to use it for anything. But that's why when it comes to that growth, sometimes it's more about process than it is outcomes. And so I've been giving myself a lot more credit for sitting down and doing the thing, whatever it is, whether that's uh, going for a walk around the block or spending some time on the computer typing out some nonsense, which I sometimes turn into writing. It's about having a process you can be proud of, such or a system, I should say, that you can be proud of and not being so fixated on these outcomes. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I heard a quote recently, I think I've shared it before on the podcast, that it was, you know, have impatience with actions, but patience with results. And I thought that was so profound. And it reminds you, you know, to show up daily, to show up in every moment that you're there, you know, and not get too tied up and to realize that, you know what, results can be somewhat up and down, right? But it's all a matter mm -hmm. of showing up and having those processes and developing those habits through what we've talked about so far in terms of your health. And, mm -hmm. and I just think that this conversation is so valuable because really there's science behind this. This is not just about your emotions or your personality and, and who you believe you may be. But really, you can create this. And I, I think it's so exciting and, and inspiring. Yeah, um, I think, you, you know, there's, there's data saying there are better ways to invest your money. And there are data that show there are better ways to invest in your thinking. And 
it turns out that neither of those things do too well if you're short-term biased. And a lot of us are. A lot of us are trying to get rich quick or we're trying to fix our relationships with a couple pieces of advice or trying to fix our health with the latest crash diet or some supplement. But um, in basically every case, we know that it is investing in the long run that is going to optimize for wellness over the lifespan. And so um, I think it, you know, this really gets to what are people's individual life philosophies. And if you are able to tease apart and ask what it is you really care about, and if you're honest about it, and if it's something like being happy or being with people I care about, whatever it might be, figure out what that is then you can start customizing these strategies such that you get there. But until people get to that point, I think you're going to wind up trying a whole bunch of different things and that's okay. But realizing that at a basic level, what most people do in their day to day does not bring them happiness and does not bring them financial security. So uh, I think this, this is an important point to make, which is unless you're willing to deviate from the masses, you, are, you should expect an average result in life. And an average result in life is for Americans being in debt, is being unhealthy, it's dying unnecessarily early, um, and it's really you know, not having a great relationship. Again, 50% of Americans are going to get divorced when they get married, and you know, maybe that's necessary. Maybe that should just be accepted as uh, good relationships. I don't think so. I think we can do a lot better to optimize these things, but you have to have an idea of what you want before you're able to design that system. Man, what a soundbite. What an absolute soundbite. And, and I could not have said it better myself. So much wisdom there. And I just think, you know, one of the biggest things here is that, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is, yes, it takes effort. It takes conscious effort to develop systems around your health, to develop systems around your finances, to develop systems around your real estate portfolio or your business or whatever that may be. But we're talking about lasting changes. We're talking about long term for your lifetime. We're not just talking about hey, a get rich quick scheme or a get healthy quick scheme because we all know that those things don't work. And if you really want it, you'll do whatever it takes. And you're willing to invest in your own understanding, your own knowledge into what does it take to be healthy? What does it take to avoid, you know, chronic disease? What does it take to avoid inflammation, which can then lead to chronic disease, which can then lead to poor decision making, which can then lead to debt and, you know, unemployment or whatever it may be. And obviously there's things out of our control, but what can we control ourselves? And yep. I just think that there's so much value in what you're saying. And uh, man, this is, this is a lot of fun, Austin. I'd love to know. What's uh, what are you most excited about these days? Uh, in life, I mean, it, I think it's been self growth for a long time, uh, and that has a lot of different manifestations in what I do. But I'd say, from a more technical perspective, where I'm at right now is I'm learning about the immune system specifically, and how so much of our health can be seen through the lens of the immune system, and how we kind of have an opportunity through immunity to reset and re-energize our cells, our body, our thoughts, um, because these guys, these immune cells are programmable and we can reset that programming so that it is a younger cell. And that so many of our, our diseases, like again, the heart disease, the diabetes, the dementia, these are age-related diseases, which means that the biggest risk factor for these diseases is getting older. And what is it that seems to lead to this aging at a cellular level? It's, it's a dysfunction in, in this immune system response that enables us to get rid of cells that aren't working very well and to reprogram cells so they become younger again. And um, so I, I wasn't huge into this whole anti-aging and 
I mean, it's really like, it's a very popular topic right now in medicine and biohacking. It's about all these um, things you can do, like take metformin or these NAD plus boosters. Um, but it is, it is all interconnected. And I think we're going to be seeing some fascinating stuff coming out the pipes because, um, you know, what is aging? What are age related diseases? In some ways, this is just like having cells that are defective and there are, are ways to go backwards. So we'll see. That's exciting. It's very exciting stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I find to be fascinating is just the concept of epigenetics and the fact that you don't necessarily have to believe that your genes are your destiny and you can actually create your own destiny. Perhaps that's a discussion for another day, Austin. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say if you want to go technical with this, look into epigenetic clocks. It'll blow your mind. Okay. I love that. Any, any specific resources that you'd recommend there for epigenetic clocks? Uh, yeah, I would go to Rhonda Patrick's website, Found My Fitness. She has a okay. good article on it. Okay, I'm, I'm making a note here. Epigenetic clocks. I love it. Well, we'll definitely put a link there in the show notes for the listeners because I think there's so much there and perhaps we'll have a round two of our discussion uh, on epigenetics. And I think that there's just so much depth of you know, importance uh, to what we're talking about here, because really health is wealth, guys. I mean, you can build a phenomenal real estate portfolio or phenomenal business or whatever it may be. But if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And, um, you know, obviously, happiness, joy, you know, is related to your emotions, which is tied to your health and, and so much more. But, but Austin, I wanted to uh, dive into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire, because what we're talking about is building an uncommon life. We're going to elevate to a life without limits. We're going to continue to raise the bar. We're going to continue to strive to improve 1% daily as individuals, as leaders, as you know, people who are looking to do anything it takes to creating that life. And so I've got a few questions here for you. First of which, obviously, you're an, a distinguished author yourself. I'd love to know, uh, as someone who's uh, so you know, inclined to continue to learn and grow, what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've read? Well, I don't know about distinguished. That is a, an interesting adjective, but I would say, um, you know, Why We Sleep that you brought up earlier. It's a great book by Matthew Walker. He is a, a PhD at, over in California, but I would say in the last few years, from a, a general philosophy, spiritual, whatever, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Yeah. Um, and then from a more uh, systems-based and I guess science intellectual piece would be Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman and also kind of in the behavioral economics realm would be misbehaving by Richard Thaler. Yeah, I think it's just so important for everyone to be multidisciplinary in terms of your own study, your own learning, because you can apply learnings not only from, you know, why we sleep or thinking fast and slow or the untethered soul or whatever it may be to so many different areas of your life or your business. And like one thing, like as an example, like the untethered soul, you know, he talks about, well, if you're feeling yourself closing, well then open, right? And, and it's just so interesting because that, that's, that silly concept that if you don't really sit and think about, doesn't make any sense. But I would certainly encourage you to dive in and, and, and understand how your emotions work, how your spirituality works, and how can you apply that to so many different things in your life. And, and I just see the, the folks who are really creating a life that has no limits. Those are ones who are following their curiosity beyond just one narrow field so that they can apply wisdom from so many different ways. And, and that's why I asked that question, what books are you reading? And, and I appreciate you sharing that and giving us a look behind the cur curtain there. 
Talk to me, what's the biggest way that you would say that you elevate your life on a daily basis beyond what we've talked about today, Austin? Uh, I make a conscious effort to cut out drama and negativity in my day to day. And the reason for that is, um, I think these are things, when people around you are engaging in these things, you're feeding them by participating in those discussions, um, by being the listening ear to hear about whatever gossip is going around the office, or by allowing people to just continue to cycle with the same negative thoughts time and time and time again. Um, so you're not really helping them a lot of the time. And also it's just a huge time suck, you know? And it's not just our own gossip and drama around us, but uh, I don't watch like reality TV and all this stuff. Although uh, I did watch a few episodes of, was it Dating in the Dark on Netflix? I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> I see, oh, no, I've sorry, it. Love is Blind. Oh, it's terrible. I saw it too. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the point is you have so many hours in the day and you have a chance to continue to move forward. And how far you move is going to be a result of how much time you spend in those places of growth. And those can be in relationships. Those can be with health. Those can be in your business, right? That can be learning about new opportunities. If you're in real estate around your neighborhood, whatever that might be. Um, and so you've got to weigh that against the stuff that is bringing you down. And I think that a lot of us feel it is incumbent upon us, necessary to engage with the, the kind of mundane slash, I don't know, unhelpful conversations that characterize most interactions. But if you get people around you that are willing to, um, to go there and have the deeper conversations and be present in that, then I think pretty quickly you'll start to realize the difference between those those elevating interactions and those that are just bringing you down. Yeah, it's not only being mindful of your own inner voice, but you know, surrounding yourselves and being conscious with those who are supporting, you know, a continued growth sort of pattern, continued thought process that's empowering rather than limiting in so many different ways. And I, in my opinion, drama is, uh, is certainly a way that you can limit your own energy and your own inspiration, which we need continued inspiration on a daily basis. So a lot of wisdom there. Uh, what's the biggest way that you'd say that you elevate others around you, Austin? So I tend to be a relatively even keeled person and maybe to a fault a bit more rational when it comes to approaching issues. Um, and so what I hope I'm able to do is when people are having challenges with whatever might be going on in their lives to provide a bit of the more reasoned voice as to, is this really, uh, you know, a big deal and what could we do to problem solve around this? Um, you know, to be honest with you, that's not always what people need. Sometimes people want to experience the emotional stress of whatever's going on and not move towards a solution. And I've definitely found that it's not always helpful to propose a solution. It's more helpful for people to come up with a solution on their own. And sometimes it's just being there, listening and providing some general insight. But um, again, I think that it has been of benefit to the people around me to be present for them, mindful in that conversation. And um, one thing I've been really trying to do over the last few years is to schedule and promote um, more meaningful conversation with with my friends we we developed a group for zoom calls basically where we would get together because we we're living uh several of my friends in new york one's in florida and then i was in oregon but 
to just get together and have these deeper conversations about um, what's going on and how we're how we're navigating life. And so I, my hope is that that has helped. I know it's helped me in in elevating my level of consciousness, and my belief is that it's helped them a bit too. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one thing that I've had to grow individually as an as a person is, you know, some people just want to be listened to. They don't want the solution, especially women. I can say that my fiance, Katie, she just wants me to listen a lot of times rather than propose, hey, here's here's what you can do, you know, three three or four steps in solving your issue. And so that's been a process for myself. And I know for many of our listeners, that's the case. But many of our listeners are also nodding their heads and saying, yes, just listen to me, just be there and have some mindfulness in terms of that interaction. And so a lot of wisdom there. Austin, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd share with Elevate Nation today? I think maybe I've exhausted all my so-called wisdom uh, today, but I think that, you know, the, the biggest point that was apparent to me in the last few years is really for whatever it is you want to be doing better, your goal should be to go as far upstream as possible. And, you know, obviously you need to have education to do well in real estate but you also need to consider what it would be like to design the engine that then participates in whatever your job is. And that engine is the brain. We have the tools, we have the research to enable us to be able to make the brain work better. And so that is so far upstream that in everything else you do in your day, whether that's your job, your relationships, your financial security, your actual decision to exercise, that is going to be dictated by the wiring of that brain. So uh, the most straightforward stuff that you can do to this end is try to cut out the negativity and the stress that comes from the modern world. Try to cut out inflammatory foods. We already mentioned which those tend to be. Try to incorporate some exercise if you can, especially right now when people are at home. I'd say just doing any movement, find a YouTube video, find something that's fun, even dancing, some way of getting that BDNF and that brain um, benefit. And then things like little nature exposure, something we talk about in the book is that a bit of nature exposure lowers levels of stress. It also improves thinking. It makes people a little bit more future sighted. So getting some exposure to nature, even if it's photographs or a video is a wonderful way of helping to improve your brain function. And then you know, the other things, mindfulness we talked about as well. Um, I think that if you haven't tried it, close your eyes and sit there for five minutes and see what happens. Chances are it's going to be a disaster. You're going to have all of these conversations in your head about what a waste of time this is. That's great because if you want to debug your brain and see what the wiring looks like, that's the fastest way. Just close your eyes. So with all of that said, I would empower people who are watching this or listening to this that you can change your life through a better brain and you have the have the tools right now to start making changes to improve that brain function. Well, well said. And I definitely want to encourage Elevate Nation to check out Brainwash um, and you know everything that Austin's doing. And you want to follow along with what Austin's doing because he's got a lot of exciting projects coming as well. And I know that uh, there's much more to come. And um, you were telling me a little bit about the Psychology Today page with the modern brain, if you wanted to just tell a little bit about that to the listeners. Yeah, I would say that this is in part a reflection of my, my medical stuff that I'm doing, but also just I'm fascinated by human psychology. And so actually one of the most popular articles I've written was about the American lawn and what is the psychology behind, you know, why do we spend all this money, all this time, all this effort 
to maintain these things that do very little and actually emit a whole bunch of greenhouse gases um, by the fact that we have to mow them all the time um, that require tons of fertilizer and you know aren't doing much for the environment so if you know if people are interested in, in hearing my random ramblings about some of these things that seem rather innocuous but in actuality are a bigger deal that would be where to go well, you definitely want to know that because I think one of the most valuable understandings on the planet is to understand human psychology, understand why yeah. do we do things? Why do people do things? Especially if you're in business, you're negotiating a deal, you need to understand the elements that are, you know, building up towards making that other individual make a certain decision or respond in a certain way. And so I love that. We'll put a link in the show notes. And Austin, what, what other ways can Elevate Nation stay in contact with you and follow you along? Sure. I have an Instagram, which is at Austin Perlmutter. I have a Twitter account, which is at Austin Pearl MD. And then the website for the book and where I post a lot of my blogs is brainwashbook.com. And we will, again, put a link in the show notes to all of that. And uh, Austin, definitely want to thank you again for being here. Elevate Nation, want to thank you for listening. I want to encourage you also to re-listen to the show because there's so much depth of knowledge here. There's so much information that you can act on immediately. So you want to re-listen to the show, take notes and make an action plan. What can you do to take action immediately, but then also share this with someone else. I would also encourage you to screenshot the show and share this with a friend on social media. Maybe you want to tag Austin, maybe you want to tag the show and your friend yourself uh, and let them know sort of what you learned. What are your top three takeaways from the show? And what are you going to implement into your life and your business immediately? Uh, because really, we know about the law of diminishing intent. You know, if you don't take action as soon as possible, you're much less likely to apply this to your own life. So you want to go ahead and do that. And again, Austin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. Absolutely. Elevate Nation, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit tylerchesser.com.